Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. One of the criticisms we often hear about the national economy is that we have let our manufacturing jobs leave the country. Here in New Orleans, one manufacturer has been at work continuously since 1946 when J.M. Le invented the world's first automatic shrimp peeling machine. That technology revolutionized the shrimp industry and contributed to the development of the conveyor belt. New Orleans-based Latrum is still here. They're still making conveyor belts, they're diversified into other products, and they have offices around the world. The person responsible for much of the company's expansion and current success is founder J.M. LaPere's son, Latrum President Jay LaPere. Uh, Jay, welcome out to lunch. Great. Thank you, Peter. Good to be here. Now, if there's any criticism of the local economy, it's that we've lost Fortune 500 companies. So one Fortune 500 company that we have not lost is Entergy. Located in downtown New Orleans, Entergy delivers electricity to nearly 3 million customers in Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas. It has annual revenues of over $11 billion and employs around 14,000 people. Uh, one of those employees is Vice President of Business Development Services, Mark Kleehammer. Uh, Mark, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. Happy to be here. Mark, I know Entergy's uh, impressive revenue comes from many streams, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you on behalf of one of our New Orleans Parish listeners, do you need to make that much money or could you be happy with lower profits and lower my power bill? I guess that people ask you that all the time. But, but of course, there's a regulatory process that governs what Entergy charges customers for power. But this question raises a central issue about the relationship of Entergy and New Orleans. Uh, on one hand, Entergy makes a huge contribution to the city's economy, but on the other hand, every single person in New Orleans is dependent on the company. How does being a major piece of the local economy and being a monopoly uh, figure into how the company does business? I guess one, uh, the way I'd like to summarize this is you have to look at, I guess, not just shareholders in your business, but stakeholders, right? Correct. Correct. We, we do. Um, you know, we are regulated by public service commissions. That's how our rates are generally set. And that process incorporates all stakeholders, including our customers, um, Entergy as a company and various different policy advocates. When we look at how we approach policy within the company, within Entergy, we always look at our four different stakeholders, whether that's our employees, our customers, the communities we serve and our shareholders. And let me just ask you, I guess I've gotten to know a lot more about Entergy over the years, and, and I guess this is your part of the business. You are a big, big deal in attracting companies to the region. Now, what role do you play there? Correct. We work with the state and the local entities, local business development entities, to try to bring industry in. If you think about uh, locating of an industry, they have choices to, to go from state to state. And so you've seen a lot of activity in the southeast over the last few years. But uh, whether you're a chemical plant, um, a petroleum refinery, a steel plant, you're going to be looking to go to Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, Louisiana. And so we play a part in that with our, uh, with our local partners. Um, generally, those people who are looking to site are all about 
getting up and running as quickly as they can, uh, looking for reliable power, and looking for reasonably priced power. And so we work on all those aspects with them. And Mark, how competitive are we against some of those others? I would think, you know, I guess just as a, the ordinary person would think, well, we're right on the Gulf and power comes from here. We're we pretty competitive? Yeah, very much so. Uh, the Overall, for the energy portfolio of states, we're 20 to 25% below the national average in electric prices. And what we're seeing right now in the, in the southeast and along the Gulf is just an unbelievable resurgence. And it's, it's driven by two, three, four things. Uh, the first is low natural gas prices that, um, relative to the rest of the world, uh, are, are you know, three to four dollar range compares to six to eight dollars in Europe, ten to fourteen dollars in Asia. Uh, that's driving um, low electric rates, which is another big input for these industrials. Um, uh, we they, we have world class infrastructure in the Gulf Coast, and we've got some pretty aggressive activities going on in our states. The state of Louisiana, uh, Louisiana Economic Development, has done an awful lot to focus on what's really critical to these folks as they come in, which is workforce training. We have one of the number one workforce training programs in the country. Um, and again, you know, making sure that infrastructure is in place. We're working with our commissions to make sure that as these people come on and as they're ready to go uh, live with their projects, we have the generation, the transmission, and the infrastructure in place for them. That is that's terrific. Now, Jay, most manufacturing that is stayed in New Orleans is tied in some way to our specific geography, uh, boats, barges, oil, and gas. Latrum is divided into four entities that manufacture conveyor belts, seafood processing equipment, and other industrial products that could presumably be made anywhere. At some point since you took the helm, you've probably looked uh, into the possibility of manufacturing outside of the U.S. What, what has kept you here in New Orleans? Uh, primarily the people and the history. We, uh, we began here because of the, the shrimp. My father invented a shrimp peeler when he was Can, a kid. Uh, and just because a lot of people, tell me how that happened. Well, he was a, uh, a, a teenager working in his father's shrimp canning plant, and uh, he would walk around in his rubber boots stepping on shrimp, and he noticed that the shrimp would squish out. <laughs> so he, he took uh, shrimp home, and his, his father always would complain about the problems with the labor and the difficulty of getting quality and peeling and all. So he took shrimp home and put them in those old ring dryers, which didn't make my grandmother very happy at all. <laughs> but uh, it resulted in a principle where he could see that you could squeeze the shrimp out of the shell. And from that, they went into an engineering development and developed the first shrimp peeler when he was uh, in his early 20s. Wow. And then where did you, the development since there, like what are the right. other things you do? Well, by far our biggest business is the conveyor belts. And it, it was founded when my father was trying to feed a, um, the shrimp peeler. He found that the existing conveyor belts either rusted or corroded or they would slip and he had problems. So he thought, let me make a modular uh, plastic belt that would be positively driven, easy to clean, easy to repair. And uh, the world, uh, he thought, would beat a path to his door, <coughs> and it did not. No one saw any interest in it. And that was my best decision. I tried to sell the business, but nobody wanted to buy it. And I'm very grateful that uh, I couldn't pull that one off. So uh, that <laughs> the, was the founding. Right? When I was doing the research for the show, I guess the number that jumped out at me, and I think it's probably for everybody that's listening to, is you had 570 patents. Uh, what's, what business are you in or have a patent in that people would be probably very surprised? Well, my father was uh, pretty broad-based. He understood the essentials of every technology except chemistry. What he didn't appreciate was that the world had become more and more specialized and it became very, it's very difficult to enter a field with a patent uh, alone. You have to actually know what you're doing. 
to, uh, to get customers and to build a, a value they're willing to pay for because industry has gotten so specialized and so competitive. So what's happened uh, uh, over time is we have organized ourselves in a way uh, uh, organized by, by industry on a global basis and the, that gives us the advantage to be able to go into plants, find problems, solve the problems, patent the solutions, and then scale those, uh, those uh, solutions worldwide. And the belt business is built on that model in particular. And what, uh, what we require is that not only is everyone aligned with our mission and values and culture, but also everyone speaks English. So that gives us the ability to, to organize around uh, a given customer globally and have uh, presence in all their local sites, but also uh, trade information and effectively scale a solution. So we can invest more in solving a problem because we can patent it and scale it quickly. And I, with both of you here, your big companies, your big employers, you've got, was it about 1,700 employees? Uh, uh, about that, yeah, 1,800. And then yours is? Uh, 14,000 nationally. 14,000, 14, now one of the reasons um, we tend to know more about Entergy than Latrum is that you're a pub public company and Latrum's a private company. I'm just going to ask the two of you, what, what has made you stay uh, private and, um, and what is it like being a public company? Is it, uh, what are the things you face? Well, I, you know, on the, on the public company side, obviously, uh, back to the, the concept of being a utility, heavily, heavily regulated. Everything we do is, I think, well-defined and laid out in testimony, and that's... Um, you know, you, you can track our record. You can get more information about what a utility does than I think about anybody else in, in, the, in the country. And, and then now you probably have been approached about going public at some time, but. Yeah, I think the advantage of being private is that you can make decisions that are good for the company without worrying about how others will view them and, 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 and stick with a commitment to something to develop it over a longer period of time where often in the public world it's harder to uh, uh, to, to make the kind of investment that, that uh, you can get a payback on in four, five, seven, even even longer years, they they can't afford to do that because yeah, that kind it's of too three much pressure. Mentality right? and it's 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 not it's mo it properly managed. I think you can manage it better than quarterly, but it, it's it's not a multi-year proposition, at least not easily. And Mark, speaking of public, private, and all that, it was a few years ago, um, a very special division of your company, which a lot of people don't know. You have. You are, are you the largest owner of nuclear power plants? The second largest. Exelon is uh, based out of Chicago. Um, they were the old uh, Commonwealth Edison and Pico from Pennsylvania. They merged in this. I think they have about 18 units, and, and we have about 12. 12. And it's funny because I'm originally from New England, and I, I see your signs up there, you know, when, when I go through. It was one point where they were talking about spinning that off to a second company, but mm -hmm. that I think the market's changed or something. Yeah, like. it was it was back in that 08 time frame and, yes. and, and not everything. Not a lot, a lot of, of, a lot of good <laughs> intentions didn't, uh, didn't come to fruition. <laughs> and um, Jay, I wanted to ask you about one uh, product in particular that everybody loves to talk about, and that is the LaPair Stair. Um, can you explain what, I have one, but can you explain what it is and how you came about it? Well, my father invented it, um, and it, it the idea is pretty simple. If you if you split uh, the treads that you're standing on, then you can travel a steeper vertical distance. If you put a central spine uh, uh, in there, then you can prevent the edges that would occur from that split. And then if you put handrails on it, then you can uh, protect someone uh, from uh, from falling off or whatever. So it's a 
it's a single lane, meaning a, a one person at a time, and you can't turn around on it, but it's a highly uh, useful stair for marine applications and rough seas or industrial applications because you can keep your center of gravity uh, vertical. Uh, with a, it's not like a ladder, but it's right. almost as steep as a ladder, and you can still carry something uh, safely, so th that, that was the genesis. We thought it was going to be a... A very big business. It's turned out to be a, a nice little niche business, but uh, but it's a great product, and people buy them, and they say we love these, and we say great. How many more you need? They say we don't need any. We have one. It's terrific. <laughs> so uh, that's the problem. Mark, uh, you have a number of different fuel sources. I mean, you've, you, we mentioned you own these nuclear power plants, but you operate. Uh, was it coal, gas? What? What is that? Yeah, we and um, for the Louisiana companies, we are probably about. Um, 10% coal, uh, about 35-40%-ish nuclear, and most of the balance is gas. And, and going, going forward, is gas where it's at? And, you know, gas is kind of a no-regrets investment right now. Um, you know, we, we rewind a few years and uh, prices were a little bit higher on gas, you know, when we were up at that $10 range. And you saw a state like Louisiana that had a historical reliance on gas. Our rates kind of moved to about the mid-pack in the country. And that was a challenge for our industry who was, you know, used to uh, really favorable rates. Um, since gas prices have come down, you know, I think that the, uh, there's pressure on coal. There's probably not going to be too many more coal plants built. They're retiring a lot of those. Uh, new nuclear is... is kind of limited these days and so uh, for the most part gas is picking that up and it's, it's again it's a huge advantage for the country a huge advantage for Louisiana uh, over 124 billion dollars worth of investment had been announced in the last two years and north of 70 percent of that was in the Louisiana Texas uh, Gulf region and the one we hear about a lot is this one that the numbers are just mind-boggling this new facility in Lake Charles Sassol yeah yeah Sassol's got a gas to liquid project uh, which is, I don't know, maybe 14, 16 billion dollars. But, you know, one of the things that is not as, as heavily uh, noted is they've got a, an ethane plant, an ethane cracker. There is a lot of ethane activity going on. There's a lot of methanol activity. These kind of building block base chemicals um, are, are really active. One, one that comes to my mind is uh, Methanex. And I think it's almost the poster child for what's happening in the world is you had an active uh, methanol facility that then was shuttered in Chile because of the cost of its inputs, its gas. It's been barged up to Geismar, Louisiana, and now the first part of it's running and the second part's gonna be up and running next year. That's a great example. I, I was with a, um, a senior executive at um, uh, one of the, the big oil company in, uh, in China, the BGP parent, and they said that, I asked the guy uh, how important uh, energy was, and he said, without cheap energy, people die and that gives you a pretty good picture of the, the relevance of it. <clears throat> this is the time of the show where we do the checklist, and it's the part where we take a little break and ask you a quick question that you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. So uh, I'll, I'll start with uh, that one. on, on uh, Mark, let me ask you this. Uh, when, you, when you were back in uh, college, what were your career plans? Uh, you know, uh, my dad was an oral surgeon, and I thought I might uh, go pre-med. I didn't necessarily have the discipline to maintain that. And so um, my first job was at the Chicago Board of Trade. Wow. Uh, several of my friends and friends' parents had worked over there. And so I went into, uh, I went into the bond pit. Um, first job, folding a piece of paper, taking it from uh, a clerk <laughs> to a trader. Then kind of worked through various different issues, went to New York. And that was the financial industry was where I was going to be. 
I'm a little bit more conservative personally than that. And so uh, I don't know that I would, uh, I, I could live 40 years in that industry without ulcers. So hence I'm in New Orleans at a utility. Jay, when you run meetings, um, how would people describe it? it was a, is it a rigid agenda or a food fight? Uh, de depends. I've had some very bad meetings where we've had food fights. Uh, <laughs> we don't, uh, but mostly what we try to do is make sure that the purpose of the meeting is clear and that we're all trying to get to the right answer and we encourage a challenge culture. Sometimes when we're not doing well or when we have frustrations, we expect them to come out and we don't, uh, we don't try to kill that too quickly, but we do want to make sure it never gets personal and it's always about uh, learning and figuring out how to get a better solution. So it uh, just depends. And Jay, yeah. when I, th I think of Latrim, I think of uh, you know, not only you're global around the world, but you're pretty dependent upon the global economy. I mean, what uh, is there anything out there that just is, it keeps you up at night? I think that's our biggest concern. I think if you look, you know, we, we think of, uh, of business as, as a noble enterprise. We think of it as creating, and we think of it as win-win. Um, as we, uh, we, we think our, our employees and the reason we're here is because we have terrific people and we think our suppliers and we, we, um, we look at our customers and we, we, we see everyone winning. And then we look at the increasing risk that the global economy, uh, you look at what the Fed's done, you look at all the, uh, the risks. And I think that, that in an unstable environment, it becomes more and more difficult to plan. Uh, lots of people become unreliable. You're seeing these, uh, these, these sort of crises and many crises occur more frequently now. Regulation's a bigger concern, um, uh, the, the deficit spending, all those things. I think that's our biggest risk as a, as a business, in addition to uh, just uh, not allowing success to allow you to become complacent, which we work hard at. Jay, Mark, I want to take a minute to introduce you to Henry Ducanet. Uh, we met Henry through 52 businesses who specialize in uncovering entrepreneurs in the, in the very early stages of development. Uh, Henry's entrepreneurial idea is called iGardenX. I'm going to give Henry one minute to tell you about it, and then I'm going to give you a chance to ask Henry one question, a, a question you think he'll need to be able to answer to move his business forward. So it's kind of an elevator pitch. We don't have an elevator, Henry, but uh, give us your pitch. All right, um, imagine waking in the morning, walking to your backyard or balcony, picking tomatoes, basil, basil uh, some peppers, and cooking a farm fresh omelet within 10 minutes of waking. Now imagine a casino, a resort, a restaurant, hotel, country club, hospital, or any kind of public interface where one can walk in and see where and how their food is grown. Most people think this impossible, expensive, or hard to do, but it's not, and it doesn't have to be ugly or space consuming. It can be quite beautiful. Vertical hydroponics is 10 to 40 times more land, labor, and water efficient than traditional agriculture. There's no dirt, there's no tilling, and there's no weeding. Um, hydroponics provides additional opportunities such as making greenhouse and sunroom growing economical, condensed symbiotic fish farming for organic fertilizer, as well as the opportunity for both Trader Joe and Average Joe to turn trash into cash, composting, food and paper products into liquid organic fertilizer. Earth Prime Inc. developed the iGardenX system with the mission of returning food production to the locale with a food fountain cabana that pays for itself with fresh food virtually wherever you are in the world, just outside your door. Who wants to start, Mark? Who is the target for this? I mean, who, what kind of demographics, age groups are the people who are really focused on what's in their food? Younger people as well as older people are both interested in local and organic foods. 
Um, there's been a 15% annual over the last 16 years uh, growth in the organic food market as compared to 2.9% of traditional uh, foods. Then the way we focused our market is that we wanted it to be aesthetic. So it would be for the homeowner. It needs to look like it belongs in your yard, like it belongs in Southern Living Magazine, as well as a restaurant, a hotel, something where they, it's an attraction piece that also pays for itself. What's the business model? Uh, is it a full service model? Is it a modular product? Uh, how do you spec? How do you install it in an application? What's your you know, means of that product delivery? So at the end of the day, it's easy for me. I just want this thing. Give it to me. Right. So <laughs> we have uh, two versions uh, that we are trying to, that we're scaling. The, our ultimate goal is to have an Ikea-like product straight out of the box where you just insert pins, stack it up, and it's ready to go. Now, Henry, thanks so much for coming by today. We'll look forward to following your progress with iGarden X. Uh, we're going to stick around for a little longer after the show and talk some more about iGarden X. You'll be able to hear the rest of that conversation with Henry Ducanet on our website. It's neworleans.com. Uh, Jay LaPere, uh, we often hear about the nuts and bolts of businesses, but we don't get to talk to someone whose business is nuts and bolts. So that's uh, pretty great. And belts. <laughs> Mark Kleehammer, most of us never uh, talk about Entergy until the power goes out, but it's been great to talk about New Orleans' most visible Fortune 500 company here with the AC on. Gentlemen, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you both for uh, joining me on Out to Lunch. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Jay LaPere, President of Latrum, and Mark Kleehammer, Vice President of Entergy Business Development Services. You can find out more about Jay's conveyor belts and Mark's kilowatts by following the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Chris Keogh is our researcher on today's show. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get this show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsneworleans.com and www.no.org. Uh, support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO. WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, online at joneswalker.com. Additional support provided by Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Lupa Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments.